0: Welcome to today's Lots of Matza Pizza podcast. Today we have from the National Development Team Rod Bracefell. Rod has had a storied coaching career and scouting and involvement in hockey, mostly in Michigan. Um, we're going to get his take on the National Development Team and how it fits in with Minnesota, his background in hockey and everything in between. Look forward to a great show.
1: Love is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire,
2: I fell into a ring of fire.
0: Well, good afternoon, Rod. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well, Tony. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, we couldn't get you on six weeks ago because you were really busy picking your national development team. And uh, is this your first team you pick or were you involved with the O3s last year?
2: Yeah, so this is my second year. So I was involved with the O3s last year, um, okay. but I would say this is the first team that I've seen uh, for the full two years.
0: Yeah, so you got to follow them for two years. Um, quite an experience this year versus the last year or the last years for that matter, having the COVID thing interrupt the trial process, all of the evaluation process. You, get, you, you missed out on a lot of good stuff that normally get, happens. Um, what was your take on, on, on how COVID affected everything?
2: Yeah, it's tough, right? Because uh, the season's a long season for the players, uh, coaches, everyone involved, scouts. um, And, you know, the seasons have ebbs and flows. And we were right at a part where we're watching some outstanding hockey. Um, Everybody's gearing up in their state playoffs, whether it's high school or New England prep. And everybody's playing playoffs and league playoffs in Tier 1. And then everyone's going to nationals from Tier 1. And obviously we have our camp in between. Um, right. so a lot of good hockey all across the country, um and world, I would say at that at that matter, just comes to a complete halt. Um, so it's it's just it's kinda crazy. Um, but you know, it's out of our control right now and we can just hope that every day we're closer to this thing and
0: Yeah, so you guys had an interesting year. You had the Junior Olympic process happens in the same year as COVID. So you got a little bit lucky that way where you got to throw 15, 20 kids out on the ice uh, in in an international setting to kind of get a glimpse as to what you might like and what you might not like. Is that true?
2: Well, it was 9, 6, and 2. And actually, we weren't involved in the selection uh, process. So they've done the Youth Olympics Uh, This was the third year. They did it with the 96s and 2000s. Um, Obviously, it's every four years. Um, So we're not involved. Uh, That's actually out of our national office in Colorado. Okay. Um, So they they put a coaching staff together, um, and they were able to go around and watch. They watched, obviously, at the summer festival, and then they went around and watched for the first two, three months uh, of the season. And then they selected a group of guys. They narrowed it down, and then they selected their team. And then actually what ended up happening was sort of last minute. um, Kevin Ryder was already planning on to go to obviously go and watch uh, the uh, us play all the European teams. He actually had an opportunity to get on the staff and help out with the goalies. Okay. Um, so that happened last minute. But um, no, you know what? It's good because it gives you an insight. Uh, Obviously, they played against some really good teams. Um, Canada has a ton of good players. Russia. Yeah, obviously for us as a country, you know, we're battling those teams because we want to win gold medals internationally. Um, So it gives you uh, a four game sample size um, against their best. Right. Um, Now, the difference is, is obviously a lot can change. Right. So, you know, a lot can change from now until then. But it helped. It helped somewhat.
0: So speaking of change, you've changed quite a bit. You grew up uh, in Detroit. Let's get a little background who Rod is. How did you get involved in hockey? I know you played in, in the Division Three college hockey, uh, but how did you get involved? What first uh, made you get into the game?
2: Yeah, so I'm pretty fortunate. Um, I grew up in Detroit, born and raised um, right in Detroit, the inner city, not a suburb. I always tell people that. Love it. Um, so did
0: I. I'm a city kid, too
2: yeah so you know i'm fortunate um i come from a single parent home uh, my mom she worked two jobs uh, now that i think about it i have no clue how she did it um but how I many brothers her, and sisters no brothers and sisters. okay
0: so only child um, all right
2: only, only child yeah so, that
0: explains a lot about you rod now now i see it now i see it
2: i hope that's a good thing i'm just kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. no but uh so i was fortunate you know and uh my mom had a family friend that uh their kids were playing hockey. Um, and it was just at a city rink just to learn to skate. And then it was a free program in the inner city um, yep. to get, get, uh, the game to grow, help grow the game. And, you know, I went out and watched and I watched some games, so I, I wanted to play. So I was able to do that. Um, and that's just, you know, your basic house hockey, right. Um, you know? Um, so I did that for a few years and unfortunately, enough, I, I transitioned to go from house hockey to double a, um, and then as I got older, I went from double A AA to triple A. And the difference is obviously in Minnesota, you guys played double A. Yep. Um, and then you go from double A to high school. Um, but I know the difference, you know, in Detroit back then they only had five tier one programs. There was a ton of double A teams that were good. Um, and double A was good hockey. Um, you know, there was good double A in Illinois and everywhere else. So Um, It's kind of transitioned to now you have a ton of AAA teams, not only, uh, you know, around the country, but around North America. There's way more hockey players. There's way more teams. So the landscape kind of changed. Um, But I played AAA about, you know, 14, 15 years old. Right. um, Where some kids now, if you told them that their first years are AAA at 14 and 15, they may think, hey, it's it's too late.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
2: But it kept me out of trouble. So I was playing the game to... To stay out of trouble, um, I was playing basketball, I was playing baseball, and I was playing hockey. Um, and hockey, I kind of took a liking to, it was something different. Um, yeah. And it helped me stay out of trouble, um, and it, it did the job,
0: for sure. So I'm looking at your bio, you are born in 1987, so your formative years, like in your, your youth, your your squirt, peewee, bantam years, this is the height of the Detroit Red Wings. How much of an effect did that have on your love for the game?
2: I think huge. I think really like it was a big part of me having passion for the game. Um, Because like I said before, when I was really young and I had started playing um, like around eight years old, I was playing other sports, too. Right. So there really wasn't a a goal in mind of, you know, playing college hockey um, and sure didn't think about pro. Right. Um, So it was more so about, you know, passing the time and being a kid. And then, as I got older, obviously the Red Wings were doing really well, um, and I started focusing on more of uh, baseball and hockey, and then primarily hockey. Obviously, the growth and how good the Red Wings were, and how many battles they had. Because even before they won Stanley Cups, you know, they had some playoff runs where they lost.
0: Yeah, some heartbreakers.
2: Finals. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was huge, um, and I think that actually got a lot of players um, involved in the game at a young age because of that as well.
0: Who was your favorite red wing player growing up?
2: My favorite red wing player. Um, that's a tell, I would say Sergei Fedorov, but, but that's more from a, just like he kind of had the swagger, the skill, the style, but you know, Steve Eisenman, um, was one of the greatest captains, if not the best captain in hockey of all time. Right. I think he more embodied what it meant to be a hockey player. Um, so it'll be a tough tie, but I would say between Steve Iserman and Sergio Federal. Completely had, different players, too. Oh, yeah. I had
0: a brush with Iserman. Every year, my, my in-laws, we would go to um, – this was after he retired. We would go to this resort in Florida, and uh, he was his family was there, and my son was like, "That's Steve Eiserman," and you know, and he was the most laid back, nicest guy ever. He would ask me more questions about hockey than I would ask him. He was just kind of a really nice, nice guy, down to earth guy. I'm like, I can't believe that's the Steve Eiserman. Um, so that's you can kind of see why he was such a great captain.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, so you, you get involved in the game. At, at what point, uh, with with uh, several Division One teams in the state of Michigan, what point did, in your head, did you realize that there's also a college hockey route uh, to this whole thing, to this whole hockey thing?
2: Yeah, I was playing midgets, and actually my cousin and I, um, we're the same age, and he was yeah. playing as well. So we kind of went up the ladder together uh, with playing. And, you know, Wayne State was a college that was uh, – in detroit and it still is but they had hockey at the time
1: was it division they were re-
2: well so they don't have hockey at the time anymore okay um so at that time they had a division one program um and they actually played in the cha which is not even a college conference anymore um
0: the but, CCHA, you mean
2: no the cha oh the cha there. oh yeah
0: college hockey married i remember that yeah yeah
2: they played in the cha so we're going back a little bit um but wayne state wanted to tap in and start getting kids who are from detroit um, and, you know, I had kind of, you know, I took a tour or what unofficial visit, whatever they call it. And we kind of looked at that and it was, we thought, Hey, how cool would it be if, you know, guys like us, were are from Detroit, we can go play junior hockey and we've already been fortunate to go around and travel and do all these things, but then to come back home and then like play college hockey, like it would be cool. So yeah. we kind of thought about that and, and, it, you know, uh, my cousin actually committed to Wayne State, but their program f- folded. Um, so that kind of dream or w- plan, I would say, kind of went away. But right. you know, as he we ended started up going, playing,
0: though, like is this Cameron Bert?
2: Yeah, yeah. So he played. He actually just got done playing pro. Played pro for about seven years. Um, but he actually ended up, you know, to tie it all back together because we were talking about Detroit yeah. coming back and playing in front. A cool little thing is, you know, after junior, so he ended up going to RIT. Yeah. Um, in his freshman year, he actually uh, was a top player. And he actually, along with Jared DeMichael, who's now the assistant coach at uh, UMass Amherst, but he was a goalie there. They went to the Frozen Four and he was in Detroit. So he did get to have his uh, his cool moment where they came back and, you know, he played in the Frozen Four. That was RIT's first time in the Frozen Four. Um. You know, but it was a big moment where he got to, you know, perform in front of all his families and friends, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. Um, So at some point uh, you, you make the venture off. You, you played some. Did you play junior hockey before going on to New England College?
2: Yeah. So I played some junior hockey a little bit in Canada, a little bit out east. So okay. uh, I played junior hockey out east. Um, and then. Like I said, uh, my cousin went to RIT. I looked at some schools at the Division One level to kind of walk on. Um, and by that point, I had a couple injuries or whatnot. I just wanted to go somewhere to play and just have an education. Um, right. And like I said before, like I was fortunate, like I was already kind of living the dream, I would say, because I didn't have any high expectations of right. like playing in the NHL or anything. So the fact that I was playing and getting to live away from home and do it and make new friends, it was great. So I ended up going to New England college. Um, and it's in Henniker, New Hampshire, which I'm sure no one's heard of. I was just Henniker Googling it. it right
0: now. I was just like, where in the world is Henniker? How it's far is that from Boston? Henniker-
2: uh, it's about 90 miles from Boston. Okay. It's the only Henniker on earth. That was the little joke. Um, <laughs> but it's right outside the capital of Concord. Okay. So it's about, it's about 25 minutes outside of Concord. And a lot of people know Manchester, New Hampshire. Yep. It's outside of, it's outside yep. of Manchester. So, so, so you get I there. went there. Yep. Yep. No, sorry. Go
0: ahead. No, you get there and you and you, you play for a few years there. Um, where where do you go after college playing college hockey? Where do you where do you head off to? Do you come back home to Detroit, or what were your choices?
2: Yeah, so while I was there, um, I had a few injuries, got done playing, and actually I got into coaching there. Cool. Um, I'm actually uh, pretty lucky, um, Tom Carroll. Where our relationship was, I guess, just like average. Um, we talked, but nothing. Nothing serious. We weren't close. Um, like it's not like anyone probably would have saw that yeah, Rod would have got into coaching, especially there. Yeah. But, you know, I was kinda done and he he kinda said, Listen, you know what? If you want to come around and push pucks and sit in some practice meetings and, you know, you would probably be pretty good. You you love the game. We obviously know that. Like, if you wanna still be a part of it, let me know. And and at the time I didn't really give it much thought. Um and I had a conversation with my mom, and she's just like, Well, you might as well. Like, why not? So, I actually was like a student coach. Right. Um, so, like a, a GA lot of kind of thing. Have, yeah. So, a lot of programs have grad assistants, but because I was still an undergrad, right. I was like a student, like a volunteer coach.
0: Right. Um,
2: so, I did that. I got to um, back
0: you up a half a step here. Is this Tom Carroll, like the Tom Carroll oh yeah. from Edina, oh yeah. went to Wisconsin? Oh yeah. Absolutely, TC. Oh my gosh, how many Carols will cross my path during these podcasts? It it never ends. It never well, ends. Well, I've
2: seen. I've 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 met his brother who played at – Was it Duluth?
0: Michigan Tech, Duluth. He's well, there's no, a lot his of brothers. Brother, who's the goalie? Mankato? Who's
2: the goalie that helps out at Gustavus?
0: Uh, that would be that would be Steve Carroll.
2: Okay, and did he, he play played he played at Mankato? Mankato. Yep. Mankato. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I met him. Actually, him and they look like twins. They, they um, all little...
0: kind of look alike, but they're all <laughs> just a little bit different. Yeah.
2: TC was pretty sarcastic, so I don't know how the other brothers are. <laughs> um, but he was real sarcastic, and he was pretty funny to, to work with. That's funny you should
0: say the word sarcasm and the word Carol in the same sentence. I've never heard that before.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it was good. So the first year, it kind of pushed pucks and you know, you're, you're coaching, but you played with those guys. And it was actually cool. I was the liaison, but between the coaches and the players and they would say, Hey, like, you know, if we sweep this weekend make sure you let the coaches know we should have Monday off, you know, like, you know, Hey, are we going to get bags? Like, Hey, help us out here. You know? So (laughs) I was kind of on in the middle, but then uh, the next season I kind of took it seriously where I really like looked into coaching and I was, graduating from college um after that so i was really looking into having a year um, learning a lot of stuff so i can try to move on to a division one grad assistant and go to grad school or if i can get on with a division three school as an assistant coach right Um, and and at that time it was hard there's not too many division one programs that had grad assistants now there's way more um, and there's way more like director hockey operations Uh, positions. There weren't that many back then. So it was hard. So that's how I just went back home. So I I went back home for the summer in Michigan. um, And I was kind of applying for some jobs trying to navigate what I was going to do. And that's how I got back to to Michigan. And and fortunately enough, I ended up coaching at Compuware. I was Mm -hmm. working in the summer. I was working at a training facility that had a skating treadmill. Um, It had like the synthetic ice where guys came there to do some stick handling and shooting and work on those skills. Um, and I had some teams coming in there because they were spring teams and they were coming in there doing some, you know, Pee Wee and Bantam teams doing the normal stuff in the summer. And I had a guy approach me and say, Hey, would you be interested in coaching? Um, You know, we had built a relationship just because they were coming there twice a week. Right. Um, and I said, yeah, for sure. Because I had no, no really set path because I was trying to apply for some jobs that, no, probably were too big at the time for me. Um, right. So, it was great. So, that's how I got into coaching at And, and
0: all, all along, at some point, you get involved with the people at Legacy as well, in the in the early stages of the Legacy Global Sports, correct?
2: Yeah. So, my first year at CompuWare I knew Travis Howe um, and Joe Templin, who I met through Travis Howe. My first year at CompuWare, I ended up helping out with Selects Hockey. Um, so, Legacy Global Sports. They were they were running Selects Hockey at the time. They were the parent company, but Selects Hockey they specialized in spring and summer teams that went to tournaments and tours like the WSI, um, and they specialized between ages nine to fourteen. So, I kind of started helping out. You know, they had some camps and whatnot, and then I actually took a team. So I ended up having the O twos actually. Mm-hmm. Um, So I helped out a couple of tournaments with the 99s, but it's a little bit of a four-year process where, you know, when they get to that midget minor year, there's so much hockey with their full season teams and going to, you know, junior camps and training in the summer that they kind of stop. It just kind of
0: ends, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. So selects didn't want to really try to compete with that at that age. So they did all the younger ages. Um, So I took the 2002s up. So I had those players for four years. Um, so it was, it was cool. You got to actually see players from all different regions, um, and kind of compare, right. You know, how are the kids in Minnesota versus Michigan? How are the kids in Michigan versus New England? Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of got to follow Toronto too, right? Or Toronto too. Yeah. So you kind of got to see the, the best of the best. And what I liked about it is, you know, everybody, all played for different teams, all played in different areas, and you were able to kind of build this team. Um, So you were able to, you know, if you're a kid from Michigan, you were able to play with a kid from Dallas. Right. You know, and you're a kid from Dallas, and you got to play with a kid from Chicago. You know, so that was cool. That was a cool piece.
0: Where did you Um, travel? I know you probably went overseas, right?
2: So we always went to a couple tournaments, you know, in the Toronto area. Um, We went to a tournament in Buffalo that was pretty big. And then every year we went to Europe, that kind of kicked it off. Um, so I got to go to some cool p- places for about four years there. I was going to Europe like once or twice a year. So I've been to Bolzano, Italy. Uh, I've been to Riga, Latvia. I've been to Prague, Bratislava, um, Finland, Sweden, um so it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty that, cool. that was
0: where I wanted to touch on. I'm like the the whole legacy thing. We I actually because of COVID, I just missed out on my first Balzano. So I missed on that on that trip to to Northern Italy. This this I was supposed to get back yesterday. Actually, I missed yeah, out. I missed out on something pretty cool. I guess.
2: Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I'm sorry, I feel for you. Not to rub it in, but that trip's amazing. Um, you know, it, it's a cool trip. So hopefully, you'll get to do it here in the future that's um, that's it, the
0: idea I mean I think that's yeah. that's our that's our plan is to to take our crew somewhere hopefully they take us back there as the o8s the will go back there but that's up to those guys but it's a good group and I know I know Joe and Travis really well and uh, the, the first thing I think of when I think of those two is first class because they do everything by the book I mean and, and a lot of that's probably they probably wrote the book first of all but they do things so well uh, so well tailored for for great hockey players and, and and tours and tournaments and everything they do is it's, a, it's kind of a gold standard. Even youth hockey, we kind of try to raise our level to theirs.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, w- I was, I could say that I only worked there because of Travis Howell and Joe Temple. Um, that's kind of, you know, why I went and worked there and they were good people and they did things for the right reasons. Um, and it was cool. Right. It, I, it got to check some boxes for me because I was back in Michigan. I was coaching AAA. Um, so then I was coaching kids who were on the breach of midgets, right. Um, they're moving from Bantam to midgets. And then I was able to go and coach some younger kids. So I was able to, as a, you know, a newer coach with younger players, I was able to kind of get best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, you know, in the spring and summer and coach these all-star teams with some kids that were younger. So it was pretty cool, and in the European tours. The best part is you're playing the best players in those countries, right? So yeah. we would play some Russian teams, and you would play their best players. We would play some Sweden, you know. Um, so actually, my O2 team, we went to the finals. I was going to ask you who role. are some of the who
0: are some of the guys on your O2 team who are who are out there now. You
2: have to be. So I actually names. had Ty Lanic, yep. uh, Hank Kempf, Alex Gaffney. Um, wow dylan yeah so chase yoder um dylan peterson uh we had a lot um antonio Strand has played a couple tournaments with us uh we had a good group ben chone who's in youngstown played tanner latch um he's the one who yeah. played honey right yeah, yeah he's in our program thomas weiss he plays on Madison. Um, Hank Camp, I said already. He's on the ski, and I'm thinking the other guys are in USHL. Um, but no, it's good. Uh, you know, Luke Talk and and Kerwin, they played on a different selects team, but they played in those events as well. But it's cool because you play the European teams. Like we, my team played against Holtz four right. years in a row. We played against Holtz and Raymond. We played against Byfield, Drysdale, and Perfetti. You know, like I saw those kids play for you know some key, like from 10 to 14 years of age. And then when they get the midgets, you know, and then they go to junior hockey. So it's pretty cool. Actually, when I was in Muskegon, I don't know too many people that know this. Um, When I was in Muskegon uh, working, so I knew Daniel Gushen because he played in those WSI tournaments. Yeah. Um, And that's how we got him. Um, That wasn't the sole reason why we got him, but that's how how we got him. Um, That helped, you know, because, he was playing every other shift. They had a couple guys get kicked out of the game, and he was playing every other shift against Gaffney, Strong, just Smelanik, you know, Patrick Schmidlin's a kid that plays in the USHL. Like, and he was playing every other shift, and we had the better team, and we won the game. Um, but I was really, like, shocked that he could keep up because right. when they had a couple guys go down and one of their defensemen got kicked out of the game for a check from behind, you know, I thought we really were going to just start taking it to him, and it ended up being a close game. Um, so, you know, you kind of start seeing those players at that, at that young age and you kind of build a relationship and you find out some of them want to, you know, move to America or North America and better their hockey situation. Um, so. You know, he's worked out well in Muskegon for the last couple of years.
0: It's definitely one of the reasons I wanted to go on this trip was to do what you did, like, you know, to see other players from across the pond, make some relationships uh, from, uh, with other organizations from Toronto and Western Canada. And, and, and it would be a great thing. And, and that's part of what makes who you are today, correct? I mean, as far as identifying players and seeing players from all over the, the world.
2: Yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, you know, it's had a big impact um, for me. Um, and because I, as I moved on and kept coaching at Compuware and kept coaching at a higher level and I started working in the USHL, you know, those same players that I knew were now coming to the age of the USHL draft, right? Um, and they're now players that the USHL teams were, were looking at. Um, so that all kind of helped. So when I was working in the U.S. Joe, to know what Daniel Gushen, when I was working in Muskegon, you know, to know Hank Kemp, who I think should definitely be an NHL draft pick this coming draft. You know, I knew the makeup of the kid and the family and how he was. And, you know, we got him in the 10th round. And I don't think anybody batted than I, when I knew he was going to be a player, you know, he's played in Muskegon this past season and he's done really well playing the top prospects game. Um, right. You know, but I think he's an NHL pick and he's a no brainer, you know, so but obviously doing some of those select tournaments and building relationships and seeing kids, you know, not only on my team, but you go on these trips and you play against all these same kids and you're around these families. You kind of start kind of figuring out, you know, who the good ones are.
0: Um, So. After once you got into the comppyware world, um, you had a pretty special team, uh, those 00, the 99s and O O S. you took those guys for two or three years. Walk through some of the guys that you coached and, and the experience that you gained by coaching those guys.
2: Yeah, know it was it was great. Um, you know what? We had a, we were probably the team that was usually that's I would say the third or fourth best team. Right. You know, on paper, on paper, we were never the, the quote-unquote best team. You know, Bell Tire at the time had a Sasha Chmielewski and uh, Ivan Lodnia. Um, they had some good players in that team. Um, so Bell Tire and Honeybake had been like the top two teams, and it was always a battle with us or someone else or who was going to move up to be the next best team. Um but for me when I was coming back from the college level and seeing how hard the guys are working and making sacrifices at the Division 3 level to kids, I just wanted to make sure our guys were getting better, they were having fun and they were doing things for the right reasons. So that I didn't really worry about being like a top 10 rated team in the country by my hockey rankings cuz I knew at the end of the day all these kids wanted to play at the next level and being a top-rated team, you know, it may help you get a couple more looks, but none of that matters in the development path. No. So I really tried to work with the kids on doing the right things. You know, Jack Stanika Sten- was a kid we had who um, who's actually Canadian, but he lived right over the border from Detroit and Windsor. He played for us uh, for a couple years. He actually won Rookie of the Year in Providence this year. Um, it was his first year in the AHL. Um, he would be a name to definitely look out for. He'll be playing on the Boston Bruins, I'm sure soon. Um, you know, Tony Malinowski is a kid we had. who's actually at Mankato. He just had his freshman year there. Yep. Um, Benji Lark- Benji Eckerly, he plays in Tri City. He's played there the last two years in the USHL. He's going to Arizona State. Hugh Larkin played in Austin, actually in the North American League. He's going to Western Michigan. Yep. Um, so we had a- we had a good group.
0: Yeah, Blade Jenkins, too.
2: Yeah, Blade Jenkins. He was a New York Islander draft pick two drafts ago.
0: And where is he now? Where is he playing now? Is he in there, is still in the OHL?
2: In Sag- Saginaw, I think. Yeah.
0: Okay, all right. Um, and he's doing quite well, actually, in DJ the OH. Buzz DJ Buzzdecker.
2: DJ Buzzdecker's another one. Yeah. Um, DJ Buzzdecker played on our team. Uh, he signed a contract, I want to say two weeks ago. He signed a AHL deal Okay. Um, with Rockford.
0: So the list goes on and on of of guys that you were you know not just a scout you're you're on the you're on the ice and on the ground boots on the ground working with these guys and having some success getting them to to the onto the next level
2: yeah, no, and I can just say I'm fortunate and I know a lot of coaches have had success, and it's just you know you want to give the kids information um, that they can use, obviously when we all get done playing, we know a ton of information we wish we knew uh, when we were playing. Right. Um, so all I, all I tried to do was, you know, give them true facts and, and true answers to their questions and, and just make sure that they're on a, a path for success and, and definitely having fun with the game. Cause that's the biggest thing. You got to have fun. Um, you got to have fun. If it, if it becomes not about having fun and it's not fun to do, it's only a matter of time to, you're not going to be able to have success with it because you're going to get tired of the game.
0: Absolutely. All right, so at some point, 2015, you hook on with the Sioux Falls Stampede in the scouting role. Is that your first job as a scout?
2: That's my first job as a scout, yep. So Nick Oliver, uh, big shout-out to him. He's at St. Clouds at State now. Um, Nick Oliver had just got done playing at St. Cloud where he was the captain, so he was on his first year as the assistant coach and director of scouting for Sioux Falls. Yep. Um, and Scotty Owens was in his first year back to the league.
0: From CC. Um, as,
2: from CC, but obviously he coached in the USHO prior to that. So, you know, small world. Um, you know, Nick Oliver and I knew a couple people. Um, fortunately enough, he gave me a shot. Scott Owens knew Tom Carroll, of course. Yeah. So him and TC kind of talked and, you know, discussed about me and TC gave him the nod. So... You know, I helped them out, and it was my first eye-opener to the USHL from a a management standpoint, just to kind of see it um, from that side of it. Um, So it was was great, and, you know, I give Scott Owens a lot of credit. Um, I know he just recently retired, we were texting, Um, but, you know, he gave his coaches a lot of, you know, opportunity to not only learn and get better, but also just to make sure that, you know, they were – you know, getting things in line so they can move up. And I would say that he did that from afar with me. Cause even though I was in Michigan and we would right. talk, you know, not that often, you know, he didn't owe me really anything. I could have easily just gave him the list of who I thought was good. And he would have said, thanks. And that was kind of your job, but
1: right. you know,
2: he actually, like would reach out to me and we would have a good conversations, and he knew I wanted to work my way up. So, you know, I appreciate those guys for that. So, You know, I worked there for two seasons.
0: And then also for Muskegon, you actually moved on to a director of scouting role for Muskegon as well, coaching for Little Caesars at the same time.
2: Yeah, so when I was coaching, um, you know, so I was coaching at CompuWear. I moved with the team up, and then I was heading over to Caesars. um, And I had applied for some jobs, um, some assistant coaching jobs in the USHL. I applied for a video coaching job at the university of Michigan. So I was applying for some jobs in hockey, um, trying to like look for that next step. Um, and I, I didn't get a lot of them. Right. Um, you know, I did get a assistant coaching job in the North American league. that just didn't work out. Um, so I didn't go, but you know, most of these jobs I didn't get obviously. And, you know, some of them were great, you know, interviews. So it was great to get that experience and to have conversations and also build relationships um, because sometimes it's, you know, maybe it's just getting a foot in the door. Um, But I, I would say that, you know, I'm fortunate that, you know, the people a that I met and learned from in some of these interviews, they were able to give me honest feedback. So I was able to go back to the drawing board and work on something that I had to get better at if, Hey, you didn't get this job or, you know, Hey, we would like to see more of this, or you need to do a and B to be a little bit better. You right. know? Um, so, you know, I was fortunate enough. And I knew that there was only going to be a matter of time and uh, until I get an opportunity. So I just wanted to make sure that when I got that opportunity, after not getting, you know, four or five jobs that I was ready to not only get the job that I eventually applied for, but to do it well, because obviously Getting the job is one thing, and doing the job is another.
0: One of the jobs that you didn't get was at the actual job you have now with the national team.
2: Yeah, so I, uh, I actually – so I applied for the job. Um, I didn't get it. It was narrowed down to about two or three guys. But Rick Conley actually got it, um, and now him and I are, are pretty close. But he got it, deservedly so. He was a GM in the USHL, and he was working for the New Jersey Devils. Um, but he ended up getting that. So it was after that that I actually had the opportunity to then get a job in Muskegon as the director of scouting. Um, So, you know, I didn't get the USA job, but it actually helped me get the Muskegon job. And, you know, Sioux Falls was great, but I was more of a Midwestern Eastern scout Um, Muskegon being a, not only just having a, a bigger role there being somewhere where I can actually travel and go watch games Um, And actually kind of have a relationship with the coaching staff there to understand what they were looking for from their players um, and just to kind of see how they operate. I think that was huge for me. um, And one of the biggest reasons of of accepting the Muskegon job. So it was great because I can go there, you know, whenever I want it. It's not far, you know, no. And you know what? They played USA, I think eight times that season. So every time they went to Plymouth, I was able to watch them there. You know, right. and I was able to, you know, go to Muskegon a couple, you know, once a month. So it was cool because I, I, I was just looking for more information of, of just seeing how things were from an operation standpoint.
0: So that was good experience. Uh, you go in and interview the next time Rick leaves the job. What was the interview process like the second time when you got the eventually got the job?
2: Yeah, so it was actually a little later um, because Rick. Got a job with Arizona Coyotes after Labor Day um, or right at Labor Day, I would say. So it kind of, you know, came out of left field um, because by that time, as you know, most people are gearing up to to head into the season. Yeah. At this Um, point,
0: you're probably going to go back and coach at Caesars again, right?
2: Actually, no. Actually, I was going to go be an assistant hockey director in Mount St. Charles. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Out in Rhode Island. Uh, But... So what ended up happening is I was actually going to move out to Rhode Island, um, help out with Devin Rask and Matt plant, um, and, and be an assistant hockey director and coach there. Um, and during that time, Kevin Ryder had gave me a, he gave me a call and told me, Hey, listen, Rick accepted a job. You know, obviously we interviewed you the last time around, just want to kind of get your interest level. We're going to reach out to, the last couple people we interviewed last time and he said, would you be interested? And I said, a hundred percent. And I just said, listen, I'm kind of on a time crunch because I'm actually looking at places to live in Rhode Island. (laughs) So if this is something that can actually like, you know, are you just seeing if I'm interested or if it's actually something that's real, you know, let me know. Um, so we kind of, it actually kind of all happened really, really fast. Um, so I literally had a conversation with my, (laughs) <laughs> friends and family about hey i'm moving to rhode island and then a little bit after it's like hey no i'm not so it's like you know they were kind of laughing well thank god we didn't throw you like a surprise a going away party or anything. right right because then it would have just been for no reason because you didn't leave
0: <laughs> well what a good deal though getting this getting the job there really isn't major did you actually have to move residences when you took the job in plymouth or did you stay where you're staying now
2: No, so I'm staying where I'm staying now. So that kind of worked out, Um, you know, that worked out really well. Um, And I, and I would definitely say for anybody listening, like the biggest moral, I would say out of all of that is just like, don't get frustrated if you don't get something at that time. And that's, if you're a player, if you're looking to work in hockey, um, whatever it may be, um, I would just say that make sure that when your name is called, that you're ready. Um, because getting the job is one thing, making that junior team is one thing, you know, USHL draft today is today getting drafted is one thing playing somewhere or working somewhere and making sure you are able to not only hold your, your end of the bargain or, but to be able to have an impact is another. So just make sure you prepare and you're ready for when your name is called.
0: Well, that's a pretty good segue into today's USHL draft. We're probably going to be publishing the show before the draft. Any uh, any sleeper names? Uh, you obviously know this 2004 Futures draft as well as, or they call it Phase 1 now, draft as well as anybody. Who are some guys, Minnesota guys, uh, anyone, U.S. kids, that, that you think will be called pretty, pretty early in today's draft?
2: Um, Minnesota, uh, has a good group, obviously, yeah. um, obviously we invited some to our camp and, and obviously we selected some of those guys, even though our camp didn't go on. Um, I definitely think that there's a really good group of hockey players in the O four four group across the country, um, especially in Minnesota. Um, yeah. but, but I think a lot of USHL teams this year, um, are going to get a lot of good players. Um, I think, uh, you know, Jimmy Clark at a Um, I think he's a good player. He'll get drafted. Um, Leyland at St. Michael Albaville. Will Schumacher at Prior Lake. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. You know, you have some guys. You had the two East Grand Forks kids, right? The two East Grand Forks kids yeah 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 Trey Ausmus and Panzer um that was
0: I wanted to bring that up because you and I both went to the uh game one uh Warroad East Grand Forks and I pulled up next to him like have you been in an environment like this before in such a far off I mean it's it's just East Grand Forks is is not exactly uh Minneapolis St. Paul which you scout a lot when you're here in, in Minnesota
2: no it was uh it was really cold and uh a ton of snow, but no, you know what? It was. Uh, I loved the atmosphere. Um, it was a great barn for sure, and it was a great game. I think. Uh, I think War Road might have, or East Grant Force might have went up one nothing, and War Road two scored. nothing.
0: Like they scored two like right away, right? It was like yeah. crazy.
2: Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it was. It was a good game. I think actually the '05 be there had five points. That game. <laughs>
0: He had a goal, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I still talk about it to this day where it was, it was the empty netter where he kind of got it and, like, lifted it up in the air and literally it landed in the crease and, and, and it almost like a, like, a, like, a, like a horseshoe game. But he, he shot it, like, you know, 90 feet in the air and 90 feet in length and landed in the crease and went in. I've never seen anything like it in my life.
2: No, that was a good game. I mean, that atmosphere, right, that, that's a big rival game. Um, you know, that's a big one, you know, it's almost like Rozo too, you know.
0: You got a yeah. uh, huge street cred for me, that rink cred or whatever, when I saw you pull up in that game, I was like, wow, <laughs> that's impressive that you got all the way up for that, because it's you know you as a scout you're trying to and I, and I i do it to some degree too what in my occupation as as, as media is you want to see as many good players and many good games as you can condense into a short amount of time and and let's not kid ourselves five hours five and a half hours up to east grand forks is not a great use of your time unless there's going to be great players to see
2: yeah no it's hard and you know what we really try to work out our schedule and and try to plan ahead um but obviously things change um whether it's the weather or whether it's you know the players you're going to watch maybe someone gets injured um or sick so you know it's all trial and error and you try to just use your your past experiences to to be better but no i mean it's you know minnesota it's obviously a ton of players um i think it's I think I was looking the other day. It's the third largest hockey country in the world. Yeah, so it is. Minnesota, so if Minnesota was actually a country, it would be the third in the world. So yeah. there's a ton of players there, and, you know, we go where the players are. Um, so we're, we're constantly going all over the country to watch players, and, you know, we're going to go where the good players are. So fortunately enough for me this year, I was able to see some really good games. There.
0: Which is a good segue into kind of the whole Minnesota thing because um, – everybody knows about the community based all my listeners know about the community based things so we don't have to, we don't have to go there we have a, we have a great system and we we, we grow the game and we, we do all that stuff right but what what do you see as a you know in comparison to the other 49 states uh, wh- how do you see things differently here other than the way we play and assemble ourselves um, do you think that th- there there are the players different are there is the skill sets different is there something that's different about us other than the way we assemble.
2: Um I don't know if it's necessarily the players are different. I think the way that it's assembled obviously impacts the players. Right. from a growth standpoint. So what I mean by that is is you know, if you have a kid who's just saying Detroit and he's playing Bantam hockey this past season. Right. Next year when he's going to play Midget hockey, he's trying to figure out which of the like there's 8 associations with tier one hockey so he's trying to figure out which out of the eight places he's going to play and that's based on everything uh you know distance of where he lives where is he going to have the most opportunity to play who has the better team who's going to have better players because he wants to be pushed in practice and uh, compete against those better players but also in the game he wants to actually play around better players right right try to make those guys better and they'll make him better so they're weighing in a lot of things where in Minnesota, how the structure impacts the player is, you know, if you're playing a Dyna Bantam, well, you're going to play a Dyna high school,
0: or so a local or a local private. Like you have or two a choices, local like two choices, right? It's it's, it's yeah. insane, and it's a weird choice here in Minnesota. I'm sure you've picked up on this. Is like a lot of the choices happen between eighth and ninth grade because because of the high school rules here. You know, once you've chosen where you go to high school, you can't tr- it's it's pretty tricky to transfer it's it's a little bit more work to transfer uh after ninth grade. So a lot of those decisions happen right in your wheelhouse when you're like you're gonna be starting to watch the O sixes this year and obviously the 05s fives for, for next year's selection process. Yeah.
2: No, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So they're you know, in Detroit and Chicago and New England there's there's way more options where you can choose from right um and I would say that that's probably the norm you know in New England guys are playing you know you guys play before and after and right. split season they're playing split season out there but are they're navigating you know which prep school they may play at um, and if they're not going to play prep school, they're going to play Tier 1, whether it's Boston Advantage or the Junior Bruins, right? Um, Islanders Hockey Club. So they have options there. You know, we have options. So it's just more so, I feel like, the structure in Minnesota. It's kind of set in stone a little bit, uh, kind of what you're going to do.
0: Do you see... When I, when you talk about NHL and junior and, and college, do you see anything the way we assemble ourselves which predicates why we have so many great defensemen? Cause it's, it's, it's a question I can't answer. People ask me, I'm like, I, I don't know why. It just seems like we develop great defensemen, both, both stay-at-home and puck-rushing defensemen, but it doesn't seem like we put up huge goal scores in the NHL Minnesota-wise. Do you see anything there that I'm not seeing?
2: No, I haven't really looked into it either. Um, that'd be something i definitely dive into. But, uh, no, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But you know what? I would say that the NHL is such a hard league to break into. I mean, there's only 300-something players in the whole league. So it's one of those things you kind of got to – however you get in and however you get your opportunity, everyone's just trying to stick. Right. Um, so – you know, you look at some of these rosters and some of these guys are going into the league where they were their leading scorers from wherever they're coming from, Yeah, but maybe they have to go now accept a role, um, you know, to, to play in the NHL. And maybe that's just the start. They accept the role and they're a little bit of a role player. And then as they earn more trust with the coaches and the organization and they become more so not a, a, a rookie and into more veteran, they play, you know, Different roles and become more of an impact player. Um, so it's just a hard league to get into. So no question. No.
0: So let's go down the list here. I got some questions about. We'll the, we'll go specifically on, on the national development team. A and then uh, the, and then we'll talk about a few of the players that from Minnesota chose and choosing the team and how that gets selected. So, so this year when, when you're choosing your the team for for any year for that matter, you are in the room when you when you're selecting the players. Is what is one of the is, is talent the most important thing that you're choosing, or is size and projectability to first round draft pick just as important?
2: I think that like any team, um, you know, we're trying to assemble a puzzle, mm-hmm. right? Um, so everyone's trying to assemble this perfect puzzle. And every every puzzle is built of these pieces. And, you know, for us, our puzzle is a little different than everywhere else because we are a national program. Right. So we're going to play, you know, as a team, as underagers, um, and we're playing in a junior league. Um, but, you know, we're going to push our guys. They're going to play, you know, some adversity games, as I call them, against tough USHL teams, and then they're going to go play their own age in an international tournament. And then they're going to come back from that and play those adversity games again and then go back to playing their own age. Um, So, you know, we're looking for guys who obviously can transition and do that, but not only do it to survive, but guys that we think can transition Um, and have success Um, and it's it's tough you know you're moving away from home Um, you're living somewhere that you haven't lived before you're juggling school Um, you're juggling obviously hockey and training like you've never trained before Um, so we're looking for pieces that are going to fit so the biggest thing is fit Um, obviously all the players that we're looking at there are players of high caliber that's why we're already looking at them so they have to be good of course but you know, I think fit is the first one, and then from fit, you're looking at projection,
0: right? For sure. Um, when you say, does the does the NTDP or USA Hockey get some type of bonus if they have a first round draft pick developed out of your program?
2: No, we don't. Do Actually, not. major major junior is the only uh, you know major junior is the only league. So the CHL, they're the only leagues um, in North America that get kickbacks from they draft do. picks.
0: Okay, that was the, that's from the NHL, correct?
2: Yep, and, yeah. and, and so they're they're the ahead. only league that gets that. So the CHL are the only organizations that get there okay
0: so i I was on the right path though right i'm not just making this up right nope so
2: so no ushl team does or or we don't either no college but you guys
0: are also have been given a grant by the nhl for this program and the reason i'm saying this rod is i'm not trying to unearth anything i just want to make sure people know our 40 dollars fee that we pay every year goes to you know pay for this one team and i'm like "Eh, i think there's a grant by by the nhl is that true
2: yeah, yeah. So the NHL actually, they, they put a grant out to the USHL as well, as well as our program. And what when they first started our program, it was to grow the game. Um, obviously, the NHL, if you look at the league, um, you know, all the teams or majority of the teams, I should say, obviously not all, they're in America. Um, they're in the U.S. Uh, so they want to grow the the game within the U.S. And, and try to have more Americans playing in those in the teams that are in that league. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, we'll talk about Austin Matthews and everyone was talking about, you know, how cool would it be if Austin Matthews played for Arizona or somewhere in America. Right. And then when a young kid is looking up, you know, to that kid, they could say, Hey, that can be me. Right. Zach Parisi, you know, kids from Minnesota can say, Hey, you know, he's from where I'm from. Like that could be me, you know? So when our program was built, um, you know, it was to be better internationally. It was to train our young up and coming top talent players, um, to train them at a high level, to make sure they're competing in these international events to win gold medals and also to help them, you know, transition to, to become better pros.
0: So speaking of living, you know, and Austin Matthews is a perfect example of that, um, is, is are you looking to develop kids from the Sun Belt areas versus, let, let's just say, do, do, does the program need another kid from Minnesota when when it would be great to I think his kid name was Hernandez from Miami. It was a perfect example of that in 99. What a great pro, what a great place for him to go play versus just another kid from Minnesota. Is living where they live part of the fit?
2: Um, No, not at all. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said with the puzzle pieces, we're looking for the kids that are going to be the best fit. Obviously, some kids who come from different areas that aren't the highly touted hockey beds. um, There's something to say with the level of hockey, the level of training, the level of play. If they are maybe you know a little bit behind because they haven't been exposed to all these you know high end things that maybe someone else has been exposed to who lives in a hockey hotbed. But I think that that's slowly changing. Right. Because, like, if you look at now, like, you know, we don't refer to now as Arizona not being a, you know, hockey state. No. Because right? they have a ton of hockey Colorado, California, you know, Florida, all these places are getting more and more hockey. So I think that was more of a conversation in the past. Probably in the um, early I think Austin 90s, Matthews, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, Austin Matthews proves that. Number one pick in the NHL that played in Arizona up to his midget minor year. And he, You know, he moved away for two years, but, um, you know, he's the number one pick in the NHL draft in the world.
0: Let's talk about size, you know, body size, height, uh, length, that type of thing. Um, It's obviously something that U.S. uh, uh, NHL scouts are looking for, uh, bigger players uh, to some degree. Um, How big of a factor when you're choosing a team is that falling into the role?
2: Well, for us, we're we're playing junior hockey. Um, So it definitely comes up into conversation at times, not necessarily from a height standpoint, more so just from a body size standpoint. Um, You know, if you have a kid who's very underdeveloped physically, maybe him playing junior hockey, whether it's for us or in the USHL in general, maybe it's not the path for him to do that right away. Um, Because like I said earlier, you want to make sure someone's transitioning To be able to have success. Of course, you're going to have some bumps in the road and ebbs and flows, but eventually you want to get into the groove where you want to maximize that player's talent. Um, So size does come up in conversation, but it's not a deciding factor. I mean, the deciding factor for us is, you know, are you a top player who's a great person on and off the ice? You know, what's your work ethic? What's your character? No, we believe you have to be a good person before you can ever be a great hockey player. Yeah, Um, that's that's important to us because realistically, you know, not everyone's going to play in the NHL. You know, we have guys that play in our program and they get full ride scholarships. They go to college and they're all Americans in college and they're able to be what I call academic weapons and they go become lawyers, doctors, you know, dentists. You know, so it's huge because you want to make sure too. You know, pumping out, you know, good people, um, and I think that's huge for not only us as in our game of hockey, but just obviously in society.
0: When whenever when anyone ever tells me that they are, they're just looking for NHL style bodies and size, I'm like, well, I'll take a look at Sean Doogie. He's like a, the prototypical NTDP type of kid.
2: Yeah, and the game's only getting faster, and the game's really skilled, so. You know, it, it's you got to be able to skate. You got to be able to think the game. Hockey IQ is huge. Um, so you know, listen, the game is tough. Yeah, it's heavy. It's you know, you watch the NHL playoffs. with St. Louis. Um, yeah. You know, everybody talks about how physical that series was, and it was more physical than I think that people thought. But like, if you look at the decisions that guys were making the, you know, guys not turning pups over, guys making like, you know, plays and just the hockey IQs and guys knowing where to go. I think that is the biggest one. The game's only getting faster and you have to be able to think the game. Those are the two factors that if you want to play the game at a high level, you, you have to have those things.
0: All right. Before we get to some of the kids you picked, I one last question about Minnesota and selecting Do you, do the people in, in your program get a little frustrated by by the Minnesota kids saying no, or is it just part of the, part of the job?
2: Um, I would say people – I'm not really worried about what other people think. Mm-hmm. I would say that we want to make sure we're educating all the families on uh, our program and having them speak with people that have been in our program. That's the big one. Um, I think that there's only been times of frustration – in the past of when some things have been said that are not true. Right. Um, And that would be from, you know, players being offered that said no to things that were, you know, we wouldn't promise someone something. So that's why he didn't come. Right. You know, because that's not what we do. Um, We don't have a crystal ball. You know, we don't make promises or guarantees. Um, And if you want to play at a high level, you know, no one's going to do that to you. You know, everybody's looking for the same thing at the high, at the higher levels. So, you know, we're just looking for good people, uh, good players who work hard on and off the ice, kids who are going to come in and who want to be players. I mean, I think a big thing, too, is, is kids who have inner drive. You know, we want kids who want to play in the NHL. You right. know, we want kids who, who want to do those things, but also do it with a purpose and a passion in the right way not it's forced, right. You know, cause there are some people that say, yeah, I want to play in the NHL. That's all I want to do. And they don't go to school and they don't do this and they don't do that, you know? So, we're, I mean, you don't want it forced, um, because there is no shortcut to the greatest league in the world. So, you know, you, you just want kids who are going to do things the right way.
0: All right, I'm gonna list off. You you got six kids. I wouldn't say all from Minnesota. There's four technically from Minnesota, and you have uh, uh, Spicer and Howard, who are from our border us and played a lot of their hockey here in our in in Minnesota. Um, Talk about Cruz Lucius. So what what is what's he gonna bring to your U17 team next year?
2: Yeah, so Cruz would be a kid who's underdeveloped physically a little bit. Um, You know, he's still growing. He's still coming into his body. Uh, But he has an elite IQ. Um, His hockey sense and playmaking ability is is through the roof. And I think he had a really, really good year this year. Um, His brother's known for scoring. And I think a lot of people thought that, you know, he got a lot of his assists uh, from just playing on his brother's line. And I think he showed, you know, um, the quote unquote critics that this season um, where he was one of the top players on that Gentry team. Um, along with, they obviously had a couple other good players in that team, Bennett Shimmick and Jack Harvey, Connor Kerr.
0: Yeah, good squad. Uh, next one is Isaac Howard from, quote, uh, from Hudson, Wisconsin. So he's technically not from Minnesota, but he's always played here.
2: Yeah, no, Isaac, uh, he did really shoot the puck. Uh, he, he scores goals, and I would say he scores goals from all areas of the ice. You know, um, some goal scorers are more of a sniper who can kind of score on the rush. He's a guy that he can score goal coming on a two-on-one, or he'll poke one home at the top of the crease with two guys all over him. Um, he's kind of a junkyard dog down low around the net and around the crease. Um, a so looking a good term. Forward to I like that. Sure.
0: Yeah, he's he's going to have a great couple years there. Here's another kid uh, from, from Grand Forks, uh, Cole
2: Spicer. Yeah, Cole, I think, is a great overall player. He's got a little bit of everything. Um, he can make plays. Um, he's got good vision. He can score. Um, he definitely scores when the opportunity is there. Um, his hands are pretty good. I think he's got some sneaky skill. Um, his stick is probably something that maybe people don't know about him as much. Like, he's really good and tight with the puck. He can make those little and tight plays. I think he can do a little bit of everything. Um, he's good in all three zones, um, you know, and he, he's a kid who, Hey, you know, he made a huge sacrifice moving away from, um, you know, moving away from home and playing in Detroit was not easy, you know, to just kind of move and now come play with all these players. He, he doesn't know. And, you know, from the get go, he didn't miss a step. You know, he was good from the very beginning of the season throughout,
0: all right, Ryan Chesley from uh, Matamita and Shattuck-St. Mary's, what do you, what do you know about Ches?
2: Yeah, you know what? He's the kid who, he reminds me a little bit of Clevin from a standpoint of off the ice, they both have glasses, they're very respectable, they shake your hand and they look you in the eye, and on the ice they have this meanness to them. You know, they want to put a guy through the wall. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean they don't have offensive abilities because Chesley does, you know, he moves pucks. He's got a good one timer, um, but he plays physical. He makes, he makes it hard for guys to play against him. Um, and I think that's huge at this age because a lot of kids, you know, they all want to be the power play guy. They all want to be the fancy guy. Um, and he has that, you know, he can play the power play, but he can also, you know, block a shot, kill penalties and, and be tough to play against. Shut down those other team's top players.
0: Yeah, I definitely think you got a winner there. Now we're going to talk about some of those fancy guys. The last two would be the uh, fancier t- side of the the grid, and Maddox Fleming from Rochester.
2: Yeah, Maddox is a is a playmaker. Um, he, can, he can skate, good hands. You know, he actually he played up. Obviously, he played high school for a couple of years down in Rochester, and then this year he made the move to Shattuck. I think uh, him making the move, he played prep. Um, He got to see probably a little bit more of, I would say, man hockey compared to some of the other guys playing 15s, Um, you know, because he was playing with some older guys, some O2s. And, you know, um, Shattuck plays a pretty good schedule where they go play some hard uh, games. So I think it was good for him and probably eye-opening for him to adjust. Um, But I think he's a guy who's going to make the guys around him better. Um, He's a kid who definitely – you could see his passion and love for the game. Um, he's always working on this game, um, you know. So I, I, I think for him, he he definitely wants to come in and and be the guy right away. But it's something to say for guys who just have that passion that want to be, you know, top players that want to push themselves to be be really good. Yeah, he's for I sure a he student.
0: He's a student of the game. That's for sure. He definitely knows his way around the rink. Uh, last one, uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Snugger, he's the natural. and I know how many times, I can't count how many times I saw you at a Chaska game this year watching him.
2: Yeah, no, Snuggy, um, good kid, always had a smile on his face, um, you know, very mild-mannered. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy that when he steps on the ice, he knows it's go time. Um, you know, he's a competitor. I think the Chaska team, I would say I've seen a lot of Minnesota high school this year. I would say Chaska and Saint Thomas. Uh, I would I would bet that if you took a poll at the beginning of the year before the season started, those two teams were the teams that people didn't think would do the, the as well as they did throughout the year. Right. Um, I think the coaching staff to both those coaching staffs have done a good job, but you know it goes to the players that were obviously playing there. And Jimmy, you know, he was one of the top players to, to carry Chaska and help them compete in those uh, in those tough moments, but you know, he's an all-around player. He, he shoots the puck from everywhere. Um, he's got that, like, goal-scoring mentality where he tries to catch the goalie slipping. Um, you know, but he, he, he's he got some east-west to him uh, where he can kind of get beat guys east-west with some of his uh, skill. Um, but he's a competitor, too. Plays hard. Yeah. Just wants to be the best. And I think he gets a little bit of that from his dad. Um, his dad played... You know, in the Olympics for USA, as well as some world championships, his dad played at Minnesota, as well as in the NHL. His grandfather played in the Olympics. So yeah. I think he kind of gets those natural qualities um, that most coaches are looking for because he kind of grew up around the rinks.
0: Yeah, he definitely got some great bloodlines. The Westby family here in, in South Minneapolis—they were legends. You know, that, that's his grandpa's side of the family, and or his mom's side of the family, and his dad's side of the family is well documented as well. Uh, before we wrap up the show, I want to just t- touch on a, a topic that uh, I always like to make you sure Charlie
2: Strammel just. Oh, so you know, sorry,
0: sorry, sorry. I forgot. Just say no. Don't leave him out. Jeez. Thank you. Thank you. I, I literally made this list as we were doing the show. Sorry, Charlie Strammel. Probably I, one of my f- all-time favorite players that I've, I've gotten to see here in Minnesota in my 10 years at youth hockey. So let's talk about Strammel a little bit.
2: I think Strammel's a power forward uh, who could skate and um, he can make plays. Um, I think he definitely had a good year this year in Um And he was able to kind of, you know, he, he played Bantams last year. Uh, you know, first year Bantam last year. He's a late date of birth because he played Wee the year before. But I think he learned a lot of playing with some of those guys that have played on, that, on his Rosemont team. But I think he's a guy who's just starting to scratch the surface. Um, you know, sky's the limits for him. And I think he's going to continue to grow into his body um, as well as growing to you know his skill set as a player.
0: Yeah, I think you you said it best by scratch. the I said the best is yet to come out of him and and, and that's the, yeah he I think he's still going to grow I think his skill level is going to go even even his ceiling is super super high. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, hundred percent. He reminds right. me of Blake, Blake Wheeler a little bit.
0: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, All right. Sorry about that. Um, Let's go now to to a topic that I wanted to bring up. Uh, You're obviously an African-American man uh, in a game that is mostly white. Um, Walk through some of your experiences uh, being one of the uh, rare players in in a very white game.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously obvious. Um, It's an obvious thing. Uh, I know some people, they may not think about it because they're not involved in it or they may say, hey, I only see a hockey player. I don't see color. But obviously, people of color, they do understand how they are different. Um, I think for me growing up, you know, I was fortunate enough to have guys who are ahead of me to kind of look up to um, and kind of watch them go through their path. And if they had some struggles that were, you know, maybe there were incidences racially, I was able to lean on them and come out talk with them as well as my mom to kind of figure out how you handle those situations. And my cousin and I were the same age, so we got to do it together. Did
0: you guys um, play together on the same teams growing up or different uh, areas? For a,
2: couple of, you know, for a couple of years we did, but then we played on different teams. Um, but then we played against, you know, you know, around our same birth year, you know, Kyle Caposo played at Shattuck, um, you know, JT Brown, John Kennedy was a kid who was actually another black kid. He's from Michigan. Um, who went off to play for RP, at RPI for Seth Appert, actually. He's now with us at the program. Scooter Vaughn, he's a kid from California. Um, he moved to Michigan, actually, to play for Honeybake. He played at Michigan. Um, so when we were growing up, we kind of got to, you know, as you're playing high-level hockey, you start seeing other people that look like you. And, you know, now I think as the game continues to grow, um, we're still seeing that, you know. Uh, you look at college hockey, there's – Leon Hayward at Colorado at Colorado college. And, you know, you have Paul Gerard who's at um, Nebraska Omaha. You know, they both play college hockey, Leon at Northeastern and, and Paul Gerard at Lake state. So I think as time continues to grow, we'll, we'll start seeing more and more. Um, Isaiah Seville, he's a UNO, he's a Vegas Golden Knights pick. He's a goalie. Um, he's on the up and coming Marshall Warren's at Boston college. He's a Minnesota wild pick. So the, The Wild fans, they'll get a good one there. He played in our program. He's from New York. Obviously, Keandre Miller, um, he played high school in Minnesota, and he played for us. Um, He just signed with the Rangers Rangers from Wisconsin. Yeah, so, you know, as the game continues to grow, I think you'll see more people of color and people get, you know, more comfortable and, and used to it. For me, I just hope that I can be a, you know, influence to kids that are young and growing up and, who want to be in the game that look like me, whether that's from a player standpoint or whether that's, Hey, you know, they want to work in management. Um, You know, Hey, you know, Rob Bracer works in management or he's a scout. Maybe I just want to do scouting because I'm a fan of the game. Um, Even more so, you know, there's player agents, Brett Peterson, you know, Eustace King. So maybe a kid who's, you know, just a fan of the game, a young black kid's coming up, graduates high school, little college goes to law school and says he wants to be an agent. Um, So I think as you know, our game continues. We'll get more and more people of color, and now diversify the game.
0: Do you think that uh, the game of hockey is more welcoming or less welcoming uh, to people of other colors?
2: Um, I would say from my experience, I haven't found that they aren't welcoming. I would okay. say I definitely had some incidences that, you know, I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, I think that the game of hockey is a little bit behind from a lot of things because it's a little bit of an older game and the game's kind of evolved. Um, you know, even analytics, right? So analytics has gone on in, in baseball and the NFL for years and now hockey we're just kind of sort of getting into analytics. Um, you know, I think if you look at some of the race barriers and, and some of the NBA and some of the other sports, you know, they dealt with it so far back. Um, And I think that with hockey, even though, you know, Willie O'Ree broke into the league many years ago, I think that it's still a little bit of a slow time to get more and more players of color um, into the league. And I think some of it is socioeconomical more so than a race thing. Um, It's an expensive sport to play. Yes. Um, It's not easy. I give credit and kudos to my mother um, who worked two and three jobs. And, you know, I'm sure all the parents who are probably going to listen to this, you know, it doesn't matter what race you're in. Everybody's, every time a kid breaks a stick, every time someone needs new this, new that, like they're spending a ton of money. Um, and it's not easy. Um, so kids should definitely be thankful to their parents. Um, but, you know, I think in, as time goes on, we'll get more, um, you know, players of color.
0: It never dawned on me until we had an incident in our uh, Bantam Elite League of, uh, a few months back. And it, I, it didn't dawn on me that there was a, a big race issue. What do you, When you go through those tough times, uh, does quitting hockey come up in, in your brain or because you're not welcome? Or was it just something you just kind of learned to deal with and, and, and make yourself a better person?
2: No, I think for sure it all depends on your situation, uh, from growing up and, and everybody's different on how they handle those things. But I think for sure quitting the game and thinking you're not wanted, those things definitely come up. Um, and you wonder sometimes that, you know, if maybe some of the adversity or some of the situations have happened because you are a person of color. So I think that definitely does come to mind at times when, when people are mistreated and things happen, um. You know, I've always tried to make it a, a point to myself that when I see any players of color, you know, even nowadays, when I go see a Bantam game and I see a kid who's black, you know, I, I make sure I go seek out and talk to his parents and talk to the player um, and just let them know that, you know, if they need anything or have any questions, you know, reach out to me. And I only do that because when I was that kid's age, I had someone who did that for me.
1: That's Um, pretty cool.
2: You know, and it helped me. Um, And, you know, for me growing up to see, you know, Mike Greer and Anson Carter played at Michigan State and Kevin Weeks who played in the NHL, like to see those guys, you know, it kept the passion going um, for me to continue to, you know, move up the ladder. And then, like I said, then I started playing against guys. And before you know it, you know, we were all kind of chasing the same goal.
0: And, th- and I think as the game grows, like you said earlier, you we're going to see it's going to become more and more commonplace for African-American kids to play the game. And there's going to be more and more players in the league that they can emulate, like you said, with Anson Carter and Mike Greer.
2: Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Just like what I touched base on earlier with, you know, Marshall Warren, Keandre Miller, you know, Isaiah Saville, you know, they all play in the NHL and they go to different markets. You know, they're just expiring. You know, the next young up-and-coming, you know, uh, black kid that wants to play in that league, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's uh, a friend of mine, a local guy here down in Rochester, Dwayne Venny. uh, uh, When the whole Keandre Miller thing came out, he says, it's not race, it's idiots. Let's deal with the idiots, not let's look at color. Because what happened with Keandre there was... It was just it was very sad. It was like here's one of the no matter what color his skin is, one of the most stand up kids you'll ever meet. Uh, his mom did so much to make it happen for him, and it's just a wonderful story. And to have some idiot like I like the, like Dwayne said uh, lash out on him uh, on a Zoom call is it's just not no one. And I I, I thought the hockey community did a really nice job of supporting Keandre.
2: Yeah, no, listen, we live in a crazy world. Um, you know, we live in a crazy world. There's tons of people that have different opinions and thoughts. Um, I think there's clear-cut things of, that are right and wrong, and that was obviously completely wrong. And, you know, I think that the incidents like that that happen, you know, hopefully, like, people can have more conversations about it to, you know, making it better and making it more of a positive place. Because to go through that, obviously, he went through that live. You know, that was a live Zoom call. Yeah. You know, I I went through things and rinks and then you get in the car and talk to your parent and, you know, whatnot. Like he went through that on a live Zoom call. Like it's terrible. Yeah. we, We live in a crazy world and there's crazy people in it, you know, but I definitely think that, you know, I want people to know that they shouldn't be naive though. And, you know, they should know that players are going through these things and, you know, so make it a point to, to make sure you're respectful and. To make sure that you're cautious about things you say and, and to understand that, hey, you know, some of these players are different and they do experience different things.
0: Yeah, well, it's been a a great discussion with you, Rod, getting to know your background uh, as a player and as a coach and as a scout and now with your role at the National Development Program. Uh, We really appreciate your time here, and hopefully some of the people, some of the people listening will be a lot smarter uh, about uh, you and about the program and about a lot of different things as a result of our hour and 15 minutes today.
2: Yeah, no, hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to bumping into you in a rink or two here sooner rather than later when our world gets back to some normalcy.
0: Well, I know we will definitely bump into each other. I just hopefully definitely it's sooner than later, Rod. Rod Bracefell from the National Development Program here on our Lots of Matza Pizza podcast.